What is up, Stone Creek? Some of you may or may not know me, and it's totally fine if you don't, because I came on staff and then boom, COVID hit. My name is Trevor, and I am the youth pastor at Stone Creek. For those who have met me, thank you for welcoming me and my family, my wife and our three kids. And since some of you don't know who I am, let me share you with you a couple of things interesting about me. One, I used to be an inline speed skater. I was the second fastest in my region in my age group. I wore the spandex and all from head to toe, just like Frozone. Secondly, I love, 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 love Nike, all things Nike. And in the famous words of Drake, checks over stripes, that's what I like. Some of you will catch that later, maybe not, it's okay. And lastly, I love to read. Growing up when I was a kid, my mother used to make me read before I went out to play. That began the prompting stages that created a desire to read. Your boy was quite the reader, so much that in first grade, I carried around a pocket dictionary that I read on my spare time. A little weird, I know, I'm fully aware. But as a 30-year-old man with a wife and three kids who reads more than the average person, one thing I do not like to read, and I quite honestly cannot stand it, is instructions specifically from Ikea. I know some of you out there can testify with me and agree with me. It doesn't matter if you're young, old, woman, old, or man. I know I'm not alone in this. I'm not sure if you've ever been to Ikea either. Let me tell you how it is. It's, it's this gigantic and overwhelming galleria where you can visibly see merchandise and products ranging from kitchen items and living room items to gardening and bathroom appliances. It's nothing like Walmart. You have to see it to believe it. Every time I go there, I have an ADHD moment. And every now and then when my wife and I, we go shopping, we'll see items that we like to purchase. And a lot of it's do it yourself. You have to build it kind of thing. And in this case, what we saw, what we purchased was a drawer. But here's the problem. When I look at this item, this, this is the problem. This is the big problem. I tell myself, it's easy, this bold lie, but it feels so true. Oh, that's easy to build, I can totally do this. It wasn't my first rodeo. So after we purchased the drawer, which I've built before, I dove right in and I'll spare you some of the details. But something that could have taken a few hours, took me almost nine hours to build. I mean, sheesh, I'm over here sweating, trying to keep my cool and not get frustrated. But I mean, it shouldn't have taken that long and it shouldn't have been that hard. At times as I'm building, I would glance over the manual, observe some of the pictures. Sometimes I would look at the instructions and realize I'm reading the Spanish version of the manual and didn't realize it. Or even hiring my wife, Kelsey, she was screaming to me, Trev, just pick up the manual. It took me nine hours. And even when it was finished, there were parts that didn't look like the image we had seen in Ikea. My wife came in and said, Hey, Trev, Trev, that doesn't look the same. <laughs> Some parts were in the wrong place. Some didn't get used at all. I even lost parts and added some things from other projects that I used. I lost a knob and I found a knob from another drawer and screwed it on. <laughs> we still have that drawer and we're using it. Kelsey, my darling, thank you for your unwavering patience with your not so handyman. But when I think of that story, I can't help but think of something else we all should be reading, the Bible. If I were to ask you to name the most important book in the world right now, you'd say the Bible. Seriously, you're at a watch party right now. Look to your left and right. What you would say is the Bible. And I think majority of the world would agree with you. From the latest data that was collected in 2010 says there's about 129.8 million books that have been published. And the number one book that has been purchased is 
the Bible. In third place is Harry Potter, and second is the quotations from chairman of Mao Zedong. But in a far first place is the Bible. The Bible is everywhere, from written down hotels to every department store, and potentially every mobile phone or tablet. It's everywhere, I mean everywhere. But one of my deepest concerns is it could be everywhere, but it may not be written on our hearts. We're clearly in a pandemic right now. I mean, clearly going through a pivotal time culturally. We're clearly going through a moment that will be in our history books. But are we clear on what the scriptures say? With all the voices we may be hearing around us and shouting at us, are we clear on what the scriptures say? And is it written on our hearts? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3.3, that is not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on the tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Or Hebrews 10, 16, I will put my law in their hearts and I will write the law in their minds. Maybe when we look at this gigantic collection of 66 books and we see the topics, it can range from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you might feel a little bit overwhelmed like I did in Ikea. Maybe you've glanced over certain parts or even had a Bible with images and read one with different translations and different versions. And finally, you come to this conclusion to admit, I'm not sure I fully understand what's going on in this book. Maybe you're living your life and your son, your daughter, your wife, your mother, your husband, father, family member, friend, someone is trying to grab your attention and tell you, hey, read the instructions. The consequence could be that we may be building our lives thinking it's something we've seen, yet in turn we may be building something that has missing parts. Or maybe we're even adding to it or replacing it with some things. God, thank you for your unwavering patience. But us as Christians have to have a desire to read the scriptures. It's good, it's healthy, it's life giving to us. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. This is what the scriptures are to do, is to take away things and also add things. It's the foundation and the ceiling. It should mold us and hold our perspective. And us with humility, allowing the scriptures to change our perspective versus changing it to possibly fit our own. It's something we need to devote ourselves to while the rest of the world is trying to throw its own voices at us, even sometimes the wrong interpretation of the word of God. We need to study the scriptures like our faith depended on it. I quoted some passages from Hebrews earlier and it was written to the Jews, the Hebrews of the time to give context of how the Jews were studying scriptures at the time, this is crazy. Let me just put this in context for you. For the Jewish people, it was an elite position to be a rabbi. So a heavy population of Jews would enter into this academical study called Beth Sefer with the hopes of one day becoming a rabbi. If you can picture this, just picture this. Uh, four and five-year-olds would study the Torah, the first five books of the Bible called the Torah or Greek Pentateuch. They would read it, they would write it, they would sing it, participate in festivals and feasts that lived it out, and they even memorized it. It's four or five-year-olds. This is where we see Jesus in the synagogue listening and speaking with the rabbis in Luke 2.46. They were then tested when they were 13 years old. And if 
they pass, they go along to secondary school, which is called Beth Midrash, where they would study the historical books, which are the books of wisdom, the prophets, and AKA the Old Testament. But if they couldn't complete it, they went and did what their father did. This is the level of which Jewish people studied at. Yet, this happens in John 5, 39. Jesus is talking with the rabbi, someone who studied the scriptures most of their lives. He says this in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. For it is these that testify about me. Jesus is speaking to a Pharisee. They'd run circles around people when it came to debates to a people who've made it a life's practice to study the scriptures, missed the word of God standing right in front of their faces. Jesus was clear. The scriptures they studied points to him. It doesn't say Jesus verbatim, but it points to him. They had different expectations of who the Messiah would be. They had a different Jesus in mind when they read through the prophets. They had a different Jesus in mind when they thought of the Son of God. And I'm sure they studied the scriptures more than you and I have. They were looking for the Messiah, yet we've acknowledged him. We found him, or I should rather say he found us. Yet, are we studying him? Are we developing a relationship with him, learning his ways and seeking his thoughts above ours? in devoting our time, our lives of understanding the one and only living God, they were looking for someone. Instead that someone put on flesh, stepped into time and dwelt among us, he made himself available. He gave us the model of how to live in this manual. But are we studying it? Are we studying him? At Stone Creek, we are a Jesus-centered church. Being Jesus-centered is the target. It's the bullseye. But we can start to miss the target when we stop reading accurately. I'm not saying we can get it perfect. I'm saying we should be humble enough to know that we aren't. And we should be ever-growing, ever-increasing, and ever-evolving in the knowledge of God through the Scripture. A prayer that Paul prayed to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 1.18, he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope and the glory of which you were called, that the eyes of our hearts may be opened through his word. We are a Jesus-centered church. And in order to uphold that, in order to fulfill that, we have to be Jesus-centered people. We become a Jesus-centered church when we are Jesus-centered people. Hello, the church has left the building. No church will be a Jesus-centered if the, if the individual isn't. Here are some practical and applicable ways for us to be and thrive in being Jesus-centered. And before I continue, I must add, here at Stone Creek Youth Wake, we are dedicated, devoted to being complete Jesus followers, to leaning into his heart and following the rhythms of his grace, to elevate the name of Jesus to the highest point, yet going to the lowest, uncomfortable and trivial places of our, of our heart, every corner of our heart and making Jesus king. I got a little sidetracked, but I'm passionate about this and what our youth group stands for. We become a Jesus-centered church when we are Jesus-centered people. First point is 
seeing how the scriptures, how this points to Jesus. Allow me to take you on this journey for a brief moment. In Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve were close with God. They were in proximity. They were in intimacy with God. And then sin separated them, causing a gap that no sacrifices they did could fulfill. Centuries go by and they try to measure up, but the gap was too wide for them to fill. Then Jesus, Jesus steps on the scene and fills that gap. He's Emmanuel, God with us. The sacrifices they did of old couldn't measure up to the sacrifice he gave with his life. And then he rose again. And at that moment, church, Stone Creek, at that moment, we can finally see that this ancient book, that this story, this book, this book, it points to the person of Jesus. It was always about him. And it's only about him. Understand this, in order for us to be Jesus-centered people, we need to know that the Bible is centered on Jesus. A second thing to becoming Jesus-centered is challenge. That's an intense word, but I like it. We need to make this a part of our daily lives, more than just a Sunday morning thing, but an everyday, around-the-clock thing. We can't only be Jesus-centered on Sundays. Jesus didn't give all of his heart for us to be one-seventh of a Christian. One tool for us being Jesus-centered people is by talking about it more. When the scriptures are on our minds and on our hearts, it will begin to manifest its way out of our mouths. We can start by asking someone what they've been learning. What are they currently reading right now in the Bible? And if there isn't a passage or story they're currently reading, challenge them to read by sharing what you're learning and what God is teaching you. What if what God was teaching you it's supposed to be more like a baton rather than a trophy that sits and kept safe on a shelf. But something that is supposed to be passed so that they can begin to run their own race. Let's challenge and hold each other accountable by making it a regular routine to ask others and share with others what we are learning. And lastly, to be Jesus-centered is to multiply. Check this out. Every night that my girls have been alive, I've read and prayed number 6, 24 through 26 to them. It says, the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you everlasting peace in Jesus' name. My girls have memorized it. They've been quoting it for years. And multiplication starts in the family. Mothers, Pastor your home. Fathers, pastor your home. Lead your kids on a regular basis spiritually. Don't just leave it up to Jordan or myself, but multiplication starts best in the home. One night as I was tucking my girls in to go to bed, I was, it wasn't important, but I was leaving immediately and I forgot to pray with them. And then as I was on my way out the door, I heard my daughter, Nora, she started saying the prayer, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And I stopped. And Shiloh jumped in with her English that a two-year-old possesses and finished the prayer with her. It was bittersweet because I couldn't be more proud that where I fell short, God came through. My kids were picking up what I put down, but it was bitter because in that moment, I was challenged by my, at the time, two and four-year-old. Multiplication not only creates growth, it creates accountability. It's almost like the steps can work backwards. Once you multiply, you can become challenged. 
And we should all be challenged to become more Jesus-centered than yesterday. And we see that best through the scriptures. Now, if you're reading this and being a part of this and hearing this, and you're thinking to yourself, I wanna know more about the Bible. I wanna to begin to multiply it into my family. I want to be challenged. I want to understand what the scriptures are saying, but you don't know where to start. Maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus yet. But man, I would love to know this Jesus. I would love to hear about him more. I would love to have his life influence my life. I would love for him to change my mind about things that I've seen and things that I've been taught. I wanna know what the savior of the world has to say. I wanna allow his heart to become mine, his eyes to become mine, his hands to become mine. I wanna live my life the way Jesus would live his on earth. If you're feeling that pull, that tug on your heart, I would love to usher you in this moment of giving your life to Jesus. It's real simple, we just pray together and I would love for everyone that is here, that is in the room with you to just bow your heads and close your eyes and just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you did on the cross for me. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to cover all of my sins. I just pray right now that I will receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Lord over every part of my life and save me from every sin I've ever done or will commit. I believe that you are the Christ and the Messiah. Teach me your ways. In your son's name we pray, amen. As we conclude our talk today, I'd love for you, all of you, to ask each other what you all have been reading, what you all have been learning. What has God been teaching you through the scriptures? Dialogue about it. Pick a passage and see how Jesus is in it. And let's multiply by teaching our families. We become a Jesus-centered church when we become a Jesus-centered people. And I think there's not a more opportune time for the church of Jesus Christ to be more focused on the mission and the words of Jesus. May we build the kingdom of God, allowing the scriptures to Hebrews 4.12 us whenever it's necessary. We're a Jesus-centered church because we will be a Jesus-centered people. Stone Creek, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his face towards you and give you everlasting peace. In Jesus' name, I love you. I hope you guys have a great rest of your Sunday. See you next week.